This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Stu does America. Anyone but Biden in 2024. Get your merch at studosmerch.com. Use the code Stu10 to save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now. If you would, uh, subscribe to the channel and hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. We appreciate it. Justin Haskins is going to be here to help me uh, rank the 2024 candidates on their wokeness. That'll be fun. Dr. Sean Rowland joins us to break down the current medical supply crisis. I don't even know if you knew that was going on, but it is. But we start by doing the Middle East misinformation. Middle East misinformation is uh, something that you may have noticed over the past. It's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse in this region, and it's probably going to be spreading all over the place, honestly. But before we get to the actual misinformation of the things that we're starting to hear, uh, let's start with, can this be solved? Let's see if we can solve the Palestinian-Israeli crisis here in the next couple of minutes. Why not? Um, how do you solve something when these things are true? Okay, let's start there. 72% of Palestinians support forming more armed groups in the West Bank. Armed groups outside of the government, armed groups to do what exactly? Uh, probably not good things. Clear majority of respondents support the formation of armed groups. 84% of respondents back the concept in Gaza. This is the area, of course, we're talking about a lot over the past couple of weeks. In the West Bank, it was still high, but only 65%. Um, when asked about returning to armed resistance against Israel, 55% said yes. This is before the attacks. Before the attacks. Now, you might say, well, the problem is that these people have been, uh, they're in the largest open air prison after all, and they've been um, bo uh, barricaded in there by Israel. Israel's doing all these terrible things to them, uh, you know, other than giving them free electricity and water for multiple decades. But what else has happened? Well, sometimes you need extra piping to go around, right, to get the water where it needs to be. And international uh, organizations decided to donate and pay for all of these water pipes to help the civilians in the Palestinian territory of Gaza. Well, what happened with those pipes? Hamas themselves put out a video telling you what happened to those pipes. And here they are, they're digging the pipes up removing the pipes from the ground so they can move, uh, move water from place, place A to place B. And instead, they're chopping up the pipes and making rockets out of them. Yes, this is Hamas bragging about this with fancy music just like this. I mean, this is absolutely incredible that this stuff goes on, but it does. So how do you solve this when people are taking their water piping and turning them into rockets? Well. How do you solve this when this is the stuff being taught to little children in these territories? Watch. We have to make war, says the little girl, to prove that we are stronger than the Jews. People love Palestine and they are ready to die for Palestine. 
I want to fight against the Jews and defeat them in a war. All right, great. At school, they teach us uh, that Al-Aqsa and all of Palestine is ours. The Jews lie and they say that their temple is under the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It was never there. I hate the Jews and on and on and on and on and on. I could play more and more of this, but you get the point. These children are being indoctrinated at such a young age, they have no hope. And, and honestly, at some level, you have to step back and say, you can excuse some of, of, of these beliefs. Their parents are telling them this is true. The whole society is, is designed to tell them that these things are true. It's not surprising that they believe them. I mean, think about North Korea, right? Like people in North Korea believe Kim Jong-un is God, right? Why do they believe that? Well, they've been indoctrinated their entire lives. There's no excuse though for people in the West to be echoing almost the same things as these, children's are, these children are saying. It doesn't make any sense at all. Here's one idiot at a protest, watch. But sir, isn't there a difference between collateral damage and terrorists actually targeting innocent civilians for death? I think those, as I said, I don't live there, but from my understanding, those settlements are soldiers. That's from my understanding. Uh. All the people who live there are soldiers that they took the land from Palestinians by force. Mm, no, there's a bunch of problems with that. We don't have time to get into, unfortunately, uh, today. But you get the point here. This is really difficult and it's really deep. Uh, and it's also so deep uh, in the West. This is a guy from the Huffington Post in the UK, Dilly Hussein. He says there was no beheading of a single baby, let alone 40. How would he know that? Even if it was true, how would he know it? There was no massacre of 260 Israelis at a rave. There has been no mass rape of Israeli women or the targeting of elderly. All the above are lies. Maybe he's saying that because it could be a double negative here that there has been no mass rape. And he's saying that's a lie. I don't know. I can't really track this. But he says disinformation to dehumanize Palestinians and justify a genocide in Gaza. He's claiming that's what it is. Now, the uh, wonderful service of, uh, of Twitter doing the little community notes here says Yossi Landau, the head of operations for the southern region of Zaka, Israel's volunteer emergency response, told CBS News on Wednesday that he personally saw adults and children, including babies, who had been beheaded. But you can't, of course, believe these crazy government and, uh, response people, right? No, of course not. Well, here is uh, our friends, uh, uh, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, uh, doing a show where they interviewed the actual reporter who also saw it with her own eyes a lot of people are trying to claim that these atrocities didn't happen uh, that your reporting is untrue uh, i want to play a clip for you that has gone viral and i want you to be able to address it because the truth that you are bringing about what you are seeing is very important number one 40 babies were beheaded this is completely false no evidence has been provided for this the claim comes from this journalist during a walk and talk she makes the claim saying, I see in the distance more bodies being covered. Babies, their heads cut off. Later in a tweet, however, she admits that she did not see bodies, but heard a soldier talking about it. Nicole, when you hear that, what's your response? It's sickening, really, that people are asking, where are the babies? Why aren't you showing the babies? Is that something that anyone would want to see, first thing, with their own eyes? Because after the graphic images that I saw of just children's beds covered in blood, I don't think I would be able to stomach those atrocities as well. And a lot of people are saying, babies, 40 babies. Well, how does she know that number? How old are they? And I think that is really, the fact that people are focusing on that, doesn't matter if they're three months old or three years old. 
six months old, six years old. Six, a six-year-old is someone's baby. It's incredible that this stuff is going on. Uh, progressives uh, are, of course, facing some backlash for the way they're acting. Um, this is because there are good human beings left, uh, a few, uh, to point these things out. Uh, and, uh, of course, we're talking Rashida Tlaib. She has been criticized over uh, being too tepid in her response. And that's, that's not the way I would put it. But Cori Bush as well, AOC, finally came and condemned the bigotry and callousness of a pro-Palestinian rally aligned with the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, now, of course, Tlaib is just going to do what she always does, which is blame racism for all of her problems. Rashida Tlaib blames bigots for the Israel remark backlash. She says uh, she is, of course, one of Israel's fiercest critics in Congress. She broke her silence on the pushback, telling Michigan in advance, I do not support targeting and killing of civilians, whether in Palestine or Israel. The fact that some have suggested otherwise is offensive and rooted in bigoted assumptions about my faith in ethnic and ethnicity. Of course, we've read you the statements she's made and certainly seemed like she was at least soft rolling uh, her criticism. Uh, of course, not everybody's soft rolling it. Uh, Salon is going farther. Salon, this is incredible. Salon says Hamas and the GOP are both terrorist groups. It's just a matter of degree. And people point out, hey, I can't believe that they're doing this. I can't believe it either. I can't believe they actually said Hamas was a terrorist group. So at least we got that going on, which is uh, better than nothing. There is some good news today from the whole Israel situation. Um, Michigan representative has quit the Democratic Socialists of America over their incredibly offensive and anti-Semitic rally that they put together in New York City. His name is Shri Thanadar, and he is revoking his membership in the DSA, which is the Democratic Socialists of America. Today, I'm officially renouncing my membership in the DSA after the brutal terrorist attacks on Israel, which included the indiscriminate murder, rape, and kidnapping of innocent men, women, and children. I can no longer associate with an organization unwilling to call out terrorism in all of its forms. Look, he's still a socialist. I don't think his policies have changed. He's still a Democrat. He's still a person who fights against a lot of the things that you care about. But there is a line, just a human line, that I'm glad to see at least some on the left are on the right side of, right? This crazy line where we take people and we just turn them into props for dumb political points when we're talking about murder and rape and, and abduction and you know, t murdering people and posting it on their social media feeds so that their granddaughters can see it happen. These are psychopaths. This is far beyond you know, the story that you want to tell yourself about land usage in the Middle East. This goes far beyond those things, even though those things this guy is certainly wrong about. But at least he's on the right side of some level of human existence. And that, honestly, is a lot more than I can say for so many on the left these days. This episode is brought to you by BetDSI.com. The NFL is back. Oh, thank God it's here. I love what. Now, of course, the Eagles are 5-0, five, five and oh, so of course I'm happy about the NFL right now. But BetDSI is where you can bet. You can make extra money. Uh, look, a little wagering makes the sport. Maybe there's a, a game you're not so interested in. Eh, maybe it makes it a little bit more exciting. Plus, you can get a big match from BetDSI, Bet 100% bonus match on up to $1,000. So you're doubling your money when you make uh, your uh, deposit with the promo code STU. Got to remember that promo code? STU. I'll give you a little example. 
maybe it would be a good idea for you to bet the Oklahoma quarterback to win the Heisman this year. I'm just saying, it's a 10 to 1. They're probably going to go undefeated this year. I think he's got a good chance of winning it. You could do stuff like that. You can bet on the NFL. You can bet on the NBA. You can vote on, bet on uh, MMA. I don't know anything about MMA, but Hillary, Hillary Kennedy will tell you exactly who to bet on. Um, also, you can bet on politics, which is uh, lots of fun. You can play, you can win, you can get paid. If you want the opportunity to win big, uh, go to betdsi.com. You can use the promo code STU and double your uh, deposit. Uh, you can also bet on the 2024 elections. This is lots of fun if you've never done it before. Betdsi.com. They've been an industry leader for over a decade, and we are happy to have them on the program. Betdsi.com. Promo code STU. Betdsi.com. The promo code is STU. Please remember to bet responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I'm joined once again by Justin Haskins. He's the Socialism Research Center Director at the Heartland Institute and, of course, the co-author of a book you may have read, Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase, along with uh, some other guy. I'm not exactly sure who he is. Just ignore the big red text, everybody. Yes. We don't need, to, we don't need to pay attention to that. No, no we don't see worry about it at all. Uh, Glenn Beck, of course, is the co-author of that book. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for coming on back on the program. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Uh, I want to start with this project you put together, which I think is really interesting. Uh, yeah. we, so, we talk so much about ESG. We talk about these, story, uh, these stories, and that's environmental, uh, social, and governance standards that mm. are the thing that, you know, why is Bud Light giving cans to Dylan Mulvaney? Why are all these environmental standards coming in from, like, oil companies? Like, there's all this weird stuff that happens. No one could explain it until kind of the ESG thing was uncovered, and it explains a lot of it. And so we've talked a lot about how that works and why companies do it. Um, but we haven't really put it in the context of the presidential election yet. We know a lot of these uh, these issues are important issues to conservatives and you know liberals alike. Um, but how who is actually good and who's actually bad when it comes to ESG standards? You put together a list. I want to go through this in a second. But can you walk through the the process of how you compiled this list? Yeah, several months back, me and my team at the Heartland Institute decided we needed to do something to kind of sift through these different presidential candidates. As, as everyone knows watching, there are a million of them, yes. right? <laughs> Especially several months ago when we started, there were even more. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to know where do these people stand on this? Certain ones have made ESG a very vocal part of their campaigns, and some of them have done a lot of work on this when they were in, in government, and we had some sense of, you know, who those people were, but what about everybody else? And, you know, um, this, this is, I think, one of the most important issues facing the country because uh, I think it's the source of so many of the problems that we have. It all can be traced back to the Great Reset, to BlackRock, these big financial firms, to big banks and insurance companies. Who is going to stop this is the question, right? And so we, we just assume the Republicans are going to do that, but not necessarily. And so we took, a really, we took this really seriously. We looked at all the presidential candidates. Uh, we, we looked at the things that they've said about ESG, the interviews they've done going back many years, their policies related to ESG-type topics. We looked at their policy platforms. I mean, 
when you are do, willing to go onto Asa Hutchinson's campaign <laughs> website, and when you're willing to reach out to his actual campaign uh-huh. and ask him serious questions as though he's a real candidate, <laughs> you know you're taking this seriously. Wow. And by the way, congratulations for uh, inv- in- invading that uh, frontier. You were the first yeah. person to ever go to his website. So <laughs> yeah, congratulations I think on I, that. I think I was. He might have been why he was eligible to be on the campaign right. stage. It was me just going there. Um, so we looked at all those things, and then we came up with a great system for how we would award this, Mm -hmm. what our sort of gold standard was, and then we went through the different candidates and we we provided this really well laid out report um, about ESG presidential candidates and gave them Letter grades, F through A. Yeah, so kind of the old school grading system uh, from uh, back in the day. And also, uh, you kind of think of this almost like the voting record, right? Like Conservative Review has a a score that like scores each candidate. Uh, American Conservative Union has one. FreedomWorks has one. This is just related to ESG. It's just related to ESG. Really specific and I think a really interesting and important thing, especially because we're still at the point that people don't even really know what ESG stands for, right? Like we're so early on this. To have this summarized in a way is really important. So I want to go through the candidates and, and where you rank them and the grades you give them, because I think they're really interesting. Let's start at the bottom. No surprise at the very, very bottom is going to be Joe Biden with an F. And uh, we can go into that a little bit here in a second. But let's start with the second to the bottom here, which is (laughs) Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I think this is vitally important for people to understand. Mm. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not a conservative. (laughs) Just because he goes on your favorite conservative podcast and he doesn't like the vaccine does not make him a conservative. Why did he get a D on this scale? Yeah, so you're 100% right. His policy record is very, very clear, not just on ESG, but on a million other topics. He's not a conservative Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. When it comes to ESG specifically, um, although he's not a fan of BlackRock and some of sort of the elites, which Mm -hmm. is another reason why some conservatives have been kind of fooled into thinking he is kind of on their team. Sure. Um, his record on climate change, on regulations related to climate change, was a big part of the ESG thing. Um, his desire to want to use government to manipulate basically all parts of the economy, but especially the energy sector, um, his commitment to social justice causes and other things. He's worked as an, in, in environmental law and other, putting lots of pressure on companies to sort of adopt this kind of thing. So he's 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 definitely, I wouldn't say he's like a Klaus Schwab, you know, mm-hmm. and he's not a Joe Biden, which yeah. is why he didn't get an F. Right. But he's very close. I mean, yeah, he's he a little better than that. Definitely a huge chunk of what he talks about is sort of an anti-elite thing. And he would <clears throat> yes. be, I would assume, uh, talking, speaking out, I mean, he's certainly BlackRock is a big part. I was listening to The uh, the, the Daily, which is the New York Times mm-hmm. podcast, and yes, I do that so you don't have to. <laughs> and they were doing a whole thing on RFK Jr. today, because I'm, you know, as a guy who has to deal with all the polling and, and do all that here at The Blaze, I am fascinated by his, inter- his, his, uh, his run here as an independent, because I am not really convinced either way yet who he hurts more, if he hurts either more. I mean, I, I honestly, like, I have not seen enough evidence to, you could say he's a Democrat, he's a Kennedy, he's a, a hardcore global warming crazy person, like, to the left of almost anyone you've ever heard. Correct. To the point, uh, as I'm sure you are aware, years ago, he <laughs> wanted both Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh arrested for treason. Yeah. And we know what the punishment for treason is in the Constitution <laughs> um, because of their global warming views. He is a crazy person on this issue. So the E 
He's got, I would say he's probably even worse than Joe Biden <laughs> yeah. on the E part of this, but he it does have that anti-elite vibe. Is that what gets him out of the cellar? Uh, he, uh, that's that's right, yeah. And he's made some comments about ESG being, so he recognizes that the ESG uh, elitist system is mostly a scam. And, and he mm -hmm. has made comments to that effect. Mm -hmm. So I think he would just prefer, similar to AOC or Bernie, who are not people who are invited to Davos. Right, like, they are right. not the Davos people. No. He's more, he's, he's not a socialist RFK Jr., but he's closer to them, I would mm -hmm. say, on climate change and things like that than he is to Joe Biden. Um, so the only reason he's not in the cellar is purely because there, there is some anti-elitist stuff. I'm not sure he would totally buy into that Davos crowd. For sure. But just slightly, again, just slightly above And he's said enough stuff now that have disagreed with him that they wouldn't allow him. There. No. <laughs> they wouldn't. He no longer, no, even with the Kennedy name, he doesn't get invited no, to Davos anymore. Let's go to Biden here uh, because uh, quickly, <laughs> we all know Biden sucks on all these issues. But I think there's a, a good chunk of people who, uh, who are out there maybe in, are in the middle and they think, well, look, Joe Biden, yeah, he's a Democrat, but he's not as nuts as AOC. He's not as bad as uh, some of these real left-wing people. He's still kind of the normal old school Democrat. Is he? No, he's not even remotely close to that. He's essentially a uh, figurehead anyway. Mm -hmm. The people who are running the show are really former Obama administration people who have just been brought back into the White House. Uh, Joe Biden is mainly just there for the corruption, I think, and the money. Um, and for the prestige, but everybody else around him, there are a lot of radicals around him, and this is the most progressive, this is a more progressive administration in terms of policy than Barack Obama's administration Amazing. ever True. was. Mm -hmm. They've taken that another step further, and the things he's done on ESG, I could go on and on and on, I won't, because it's not necessary, but, he put, he's put all kinds of regulations into place. His administration has to uh, move the country closer toward that. He, put, uh, he created an office called the Made in America Office. The acronym for that is MAO, by the way, which is, I think is hilarious. Um, and the Made in America Office, the sole purpose of this is to make sure the government's only doing business with people that have effectively good ESG scores, so using the weight of the government to make that happen. He put in a Department of Labor rule that uh, would... Uh, allow uh, people who are managing retirement accounts and things like that to make ESG uh, investments sort of the default. So your 401k could, if you're not paying attention, become an ESG 401k account. And you wouldn't even necessarily know it. Mm. There's a whole bunch of other things he's done kind of like that. He's a big, great reset guy, big Davos guy, in bed with Klaus Schwab. Um, not good, which is why he okay. gets an F. NF, I mean, NF. Okay. yeah, not good. Now, of course, he's the only Democrat running. We have a bunch of Republicans running. We have. Let's go through a batch of them here. Chris Christie gets a C minus. Asa Hutchinson, again, you went to his actual website, uh, gets a C. <laughs> Nikki Haley a C plus. Doug Burgum, Burgumentum, at a B minus, and Vivek Ramaswamy at a B. Let's just highlight a couple of these here. Uh, Nikki Haley is one who's rising. She's rising in the polls. Uh, she is one of the alternatives to Trump. If you're going to say it's probably Trump, DeSantis, Haley. At at this point, um, Haley gets only a C plus. Why? Yeah, this was really interesting. It's probably one of the more interesting ones. This and Vivek, who I think a lot of people thought would do better than he than he did in this. Um, Nikki Haley, we could find almost nothing on ESG related to Nikki Haley. They didn't have any mention of it on her campaigns. We couldn't find any mention of her talking about it anywhere. We mm. thought this was very strange. I reached out to her campaign multiple times. I finally got somebody from the campaign to talk to me about it. And I said to them, look, I'm looking for the policies. What policies is, is Nikki Haley going to, to do on ESG if she's elected president? They said, I'll get back to you. They got back to me with a, with a quote. It was a one sentence quote, essentially, maybe mm. two, that said ESG is terrible. It's like corporate socialism or something to that effect. 
but no policies at all. Reached back out to him. I, I really need policies. Give me the policies. Nothing. Mm. So for that reason, she's not, I mean, her statement was very, the one statement we could get was, I don't like ESG, but that was all we got. And so for that reason, uh, I don't think she would be pushing it forward, but I see nothing in terms of policy to roll back what's already been done or to stop uh, this thing from continuing to get worse in the private sector. So that's how you end up with a C plus. And I could be wrong on this, but I feel like not the most recent interview Glenn had with her, but one from maybe before she was running, I feel like maybe he did ask her about this. And my impression of her answer, which was, she had no depth on it. It was not something she had really yeah. thought about. Now, look, she's really smart on a lot of things. Sure. And, and uh, you know, she uh, certainly spends tons of time thinking about foreign affairs and all these other things. But it did not seem like it was uh, top of her mind. You know, that's uh, kind of important. If you're going to deal with something, try to roll it back. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, give me a minute on him. Yeah, so Vivek is one of the most outspoken anti-ESG guys. Yeah, he's um, the guy. You're right. The reason why he didn't get an A grade in this, and the reason he, he only got a B, was because um, although we could find lots of statements from him about ESG stuff, he's written it in his books, et cetera, lots of speeches, and there are some policies, anti-ESG policies, they tended, he only spoke about the policies that we would consider to be not the gold standard. So making sure that government is not enforcing ESG, making sure that uh, pension funds are not uh, going into business with BlackRock and other people that are pushing ESG. But he, as far as I could tell, there's nothing in his policy platform that would stop banks, financial institutions, insurance companies, others uh, from using ESG to impose it on people. So, uh, and he's even made some statements that seem to suggest that he might be okay with that because he doesn't want government getting in the way of private business or something to that effect. Sure. So we just don't know enough. And mm-hmm. we a- reached out to the campaign, didn't hear back from them. And so we coun't give him an A because the people who got A's were taking that all-encompassing approach. Um, I will say, too, uh, in, uh, Vivek did do something uh, about this in starting a fund uh, that pushed back against ESG, so that's a point in his favor. Yep. But And B's a solid grade. I think he'd be pretty good on this issue, but not an A. We did have some A's, though. Tim Scott, A-. minus. Donald Trump with an A. Mike Pence with an A. And Ron DeSantis topping the list with an A+. Why does yep. DeSantis top the list? Yeah, so Ron DeSantis earlier in 2023 passed the most comprehensive anti-ESG package of legislation that tackled it in Florida, of course, all across every area that you can. It was designed to protect consumers and banks. It was so that banks couldn't use ESG scores against their customers, individuals, as well as businesses. Uh, pension funds, not are, they're not allowed to uh, embrace ESG causes. Um, government's not allowed to contract with businesses that are promoting the ESG agenda. That's our gold standard, these kinds of policies. Um, he also led a coalition, of created a coalition of governors, uh, anti-ESG governors, uh, the 17 or 18 of them, and he was in charge of that. So he has mm-hmm. been by far the, the best on this. Um, Um, Donald Trump and Mike Pence just slightly below that at A. Uh, And the reason why is they've both uh, been very vocal uh, critics of ESG. Mike Pence actually more than Donald Trump in terms of the number of comments that they've made. Um, But since since leaving the White House, they haven't said all that much about it. It's not a huge part of their platforms. And uh, the really tough stuff, the things we, the, the, the banks and the financial institutions getting those things under control, they didn't have anything in their policy platforms dealing with that. But when they were in the White House, they put, pol- they tried yeah. to do that 
through the through the executive branch. So yeah. we're there's assuming they're going to do it, but they didn't say it, so they're one yeah. slight notch there's below. There's a lot of issues with, with Trump right now on that. I mean, abortions like that, he was really, obviously, incredibly yeah. good on that in the White House, but he's, his comments lately has been strange. The trans issue is kind of on that issue, uh, on that uh, front as well. There's been a few of those with him where he was maybe his record is actually better than what he's saying in the campaign, which is supposed yeah. to, it's supposed to be the opposite. You're supposed to pump up yourself during the campaign and then do worse in office. Yeah. That's the normal uh, procedure. But, Justin, this is a great list. And thank you so much for doing this and putting yeah, the work in thanks. on it. Uh, Justin Haskins, if you haven't already, be, be sure to pick up and read Dark Future, uncovering the Great Reset's terrifying next phase. Uh, co-authored with Glenn Beck. Uh, it is available wherever you get your books. Justin, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, on. thanks, too. If you've ever bought or sold a home, you know what kind of hassle that can be. It can be a big one. It can be the type of thing that honestly ruins your financial future. This is your legacy. This is what you might hand down to your kids. So many people have their entire retirement, basically, inside of real estate. So what do you do when you're buying or selling a home? Do you just pick a real estate agent out of, out of uh, off of the Internet, off of an ad you saw somewhere? Is that the right way to do it? Well, no, I would argue it's realestateagentsitrust.com. And, and here's why. Glenn started this company years ago, and he did this because he had an issue with a real estate agent. He wanted to find a better way to have the, you know, real estate agents screened and to be able to find the people who have the best performance, who you can trust, who do the right thing, who understand their market better than anybody. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. The best part about this, it's a free service to you. So why not take advantage of this? They're doing all the work already. Realestateagentsitrust.com, no matter where you are, realestateagentsitrust.com. I don't have that information for you. I would just refer you to his office. All right, I'm going to yeah, take... called on me in two seasons, Kareem. And not calling on you today. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead, sir. You should be ashamed Go of ahead. that. Go ahead. That shows Go ahead. disrespect to a free and independent media. It's a I'm going to close... I'm going to... One of our country's gonna... largest and most widely read newspapers, Kareem. That shows contempt for a free and independent press. Go ahead. I'm calling on somebody who I haven't called in a long time as well. Go ahead. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, a little cold there from uh, KJP. Um, insane. They won't call on the guy, Stephen Nelson, from the New York Press, or New York Post, excuse me. Um, he says, uh, he, he said, uh, com he commented on this after. He said, the New York Post is our country's oldest daily newspaper. We have fourth largest print circulation, and only the New York Times has more web traffic. Uh, they last called on me in May and a colleague in July. The May exchange was also about press freedom issues. Um, look, they don't like the New York Post because the New York Post is, is critical of them at times, and they're not used to that, right? Every other, everybody else just kisses their ass constantly. So it's good to see that someone could ask a tough question, and he's right to be able to stand up. I don't know what the – the procedure is so weird. Like, they used, they call on people I, – I still can't believe Steve Ducey gets questions, like, seemingly every day. I don't know what the policy is. I don't understand how it works, but it is bizarre. I also don't understand this policy in California. They've created their the nation's first ebony alert – this is so you can find missing black children. Now, why you would need a separate alert to find black children than white children or Asian children or Native American children or Hispanic children, I don't know. You could, this is just for black children. They have their own alert just for black. What are you saying about the black population? Are you saying there's that many missing children? What are you trying to say? You have to have your own, your own alert just for just one race? I, I, these people are insane. Everybody, every progressive is insane. I, and I just don't, I don't get 
how, where they think this philosophy is going to get them, it goes down some really freaking weird roads. And speaking of really freaking weird roads, uh, Young Turks founder Cenk Uyghur, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's not, I want to say Sank, and it's not, but I can't remember exactly what it was. It's been a while since I thought of the guy. He did run for Congress, I think, recently and got blown out in a primary there. Now he's jumping in to run for president. As a Democrat, he's launching his campaign now as a Democrat. There's only four months left. He says we must change course. Quote, he, I think meaning Biden, has at best a 10% chance of winning. I'm running as a proxy. I am running to win. I hope he's right about that. I think his chances are much, much higher than 10%. But uh, he believes, um, even though he was born in Turkey, by the way, not even eligible to be uh, president, uh, he believes the Constitution, people will see the Constitution his way and everything will be fine. Uh, We'll cross that bridge when the guy wins. So what would it be like if all of a sudden a global medication supply chain of antibiotics just disappeared right before our eyes? We're talking to Sean Rowland today. Uh, He's the head of of Jace Medical. And, you know, they've been dealing with this for a while. Like, don't you like this is the one thing that's great about capitalism is there's people thinking about the stuff you're not thinking about. Right. The Jace case from Jace Medical is a great way to keep yourself prepared for the worst. I never would have thought of this, but it's a great idea. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can have. You can have and like have ready for when you have a bacterial illness, like a respiratory infection or a sinusitis uh, situation, maybe skin infections, whatever it is. If it's treated by antibiotics, you're covered and you don't have to wait if the supply chain is is all busted up. Or if you're traveling, it's a great idea as well. You're overseas, you're in a country with a bad healthcare system, you're all set. Go to jacemedical.com, jacemedical.com, enter the code STU at checkout for a discount. The promo code is STU at jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. I want to bring in Dr. Sean Rowland. He's the founder and CEO of Jace Medical. Of course, Jace Medical is a sponsor of this program. Uh, and I thought of them when we were thinking of this issue of um, shortages when it comes to medication through our supply chain. There's a story out about that I want to get to here in just a second. Uh, but, Dr., uh, Doctor, I wanted to first start with you. Uh, you're in Hawaii, right? I, like, the last few months of Hawaii have been quite a different uh, time than I think you're used to being out there. What has it been like being in Hawaii over the past few months? Yeah, uh, thank you, Stu. Uh, I am in Hawaii. I'm actually on Oahu, um, although I did spend time immediately after the the horrible fires in, in Lahaina and West Maui uh, doing search and rescue over there. And uh, it, 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 yes, you're absolutely right. Issues of shortages and uh, just a lot of unknowns that came up all of a sudden for not just the people who were in the fire itself, but but the surrounding community. So you had a whole section of that island that was essentially cut off from power, communications, food, water, uh, and and of course medications. And 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 I I was there, you know, boots on the ground, helping people to secure a supply of of whether it was for seizure disorders, whether it was for um, uh, insulin for their diabetes, whatever it was, and that that was turned out to be a, a really big pressing concern for, mm. for the 
over there, amongst everything else. As yeah, well. uh, so much going on there. I, I, uh, there's a story uh, the other day about how they're now opening up tourism back to this uh, area in Lahaina. How do the locals feel about that? Because I, you got to be almost of two minds there. You, you obviously don't want people coming around gawking at some uh, tragic scene. But on the other hand, you know, tourism is so important to the people there. If you were... Uh, not affected maybe directly by this fire, you know, you have your business might get shut down if nobody shows up. How are people dealing with that in Hawaii? Exactly. You know, it was surreal, actually, during even during the, the immediately after the fires, you know, we were still dealing with the fallout there. You had people who were still injured and and trying to get people uh, medical care. And, and meanwhile, you know, 10 miles away, you had people who were out parasailing and surfing. And uh, so that was that was that really was surreal. Now, eventually they did, uh, the airport pretty much slowed down to a crawl. Businesses uh, didn't have any customers. Hotels were empty. For the most part, I think people uh, respected kind of the initial, um, the, the governor initially, they, and people were asking for some time. And then you're right, they turned right around and said, well, you know, actually we, we Maui is still open. And you really found people were on one side or the other. They either were adamant that no tourists should be around, that they should have time to, to grieve and rebuild and process. But you're right, people's livelihoods were were at stake. People's businesses who weren't getting, you know, people who were affected by the fire had government assistance and things like that. But if you were in a different part of Maui and and you had no business because tourism was shut down, I mean, that that you're just one more of the casualties that, that happened as a result of, of this tragedy. So I, you know, Personally, I've talked to both. I think that people are feel very strongly um, on both sides of the fence, and and I can see both sides of the story. So it just it's there's no perfect answer. It's it's just a it's just a hard situation. Yeah, it really is a brutal situation. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about uh, preparation. You, you know, obviously the fire is is one thing, and I think when people think about preparing themselves for bad outcomes, they generally will consider a natural disaster of some kind, right? Like they'll think maybe a hurricane is coming, something like that, um, and they might think of water. They might think of food. A lot of times they don't think about medication, though, and uh, we're not even talking about necessarily a natural disaster, but something that can be much more widespread. As of right now, we're talking about 309 drugs. Is this the right number of currently facing shortages in the United States? I know uh, my my wife has seen some medication that she takes. She's had a tough time getting. Uh, I've had the same issue. Our kids have had the same issue. It feels like this is like a new problem for the United States, and it seems to be getting worse. 100% 100% correct. Uh, you know, the use cases for why why this should mean something to you when you think about your medical preparedness, certainly there's there's unknowns that happen when it comes to natural disasters that we can't predict and no one knows where or when they're going to strike. But really, I, it's much bigger than just natural disasters. It, when talking about you brought up supply chain, which is a which is another a uh, very pressing and and in my mind, this was actually the the reason that, that I created Jace to begin with uh, was because of seeing and, and experiencing firsthand as a physician these shortages uh, pre, pre-COVID-19. And you're right, that list of the, the FDA maintains a list. It, it changes day by day. And right now, there, you're always, we're at about 300. It used to be maybe 200 and it was 150 a few years ago. It's just steadily been increasing and growing worse. We've been, we, you know, Personally, you've got, uh, in my practice, I've had issues where I couldn't prescribe something to a patient. I had to find an alternative drug. 
there's the people who were affected even just last year through the winter when we couldn't get um, children's medications, amoxicillin, um, children's Tylenol. And I can tell you right now that, that at least with the issue with amoxicillin, that's likely to continue, if not get worse, this winter as well. Um, and that has a snowball effect on other medications that we use to replace it. And and it's it, it, it's just everywhere. Uh, that list is growing. The the reason that it's growing is because we've decided that uh, as a as a country, at least as the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers have decided that that uh, it was they were best uh, served by farming our production capacities overseas. 90% of uh, plus of what we consume here in the United States are generic medications, none of which are produced here in the U.S. Uh, and so there's anything between in that supply chain from from A to Z that that is that can be disrupted and it's just continuing to get worse. So supply chain disruption is it's a real thing. It's affecting people every day. There's doctors having to make decisions on what cancer treatments, who gets the cancer treatment. Um, and you know, we're here at Jace telling people it might not be your medication today, but it, it, there's a good likelihood that it will be it tomorrow. So now's the time to get prepared, get your backup supply, get what you need so that you've got that peace of mind. Yeah. It's really amazing. I feel like it's a totally different thing. I, I don't remember this ever happening before. Obviously I'm sure there were shortages here and there of certain things, but it seems so widespread now. I'm to the point now where I actually like and I try to avoid all human interaction if at all possible. Um, I'm like, I like know my pharmacist. Like, <laughs> I, that's not supposed, I don't, no knock on the guy, he's a, he's a good dude, but like, I don't need more friends. I don't necessarily wanna know everything about my pharmacist, but you feel like you're there, you need their help to search around different stores, different pharmacies, mm. call around, do you have this, do you have this? I mean, this is, it's, I think it's so foreign of a problem for people in America who expect some level of abundance and have had that for such a long time. This is supposed to just work for us. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things that while we, we hope that the, that the government and the powers that be are, see what's going on and are doing something to fix it, the truth is uh, there's been a lot of talk, there's been a lot of meetings uh, but nothing really that's going to make a difference at the end of the day for you and me. So we're left to we're left to to fend for ourselves and to do what we can for ourselves and our families to to get that preparation to to get that peace of mind to have that medication on hand. Um, you know that was I would love to bring production capacity back to the United States and and hopefully that's that's something that we can do down the road. But today, what you can do as an individual uh, is is Go to the website. You go to Jace Medical. You fill out the form. We find out what medications you're taking, which ones are appropriate, um, and and it's we've tried to make it as easy as a process as possible, as convenient as affordable. Uh, for this reason, I mean, it's it's what I feel really passionate about. I think the the shortages you're experiencing now, and and we are collectively as a country, are only going to get worse. There's any number of things, whether it's a geopolitical instability, which is currently going on and, and could get a lot worse. Um, these are all things that are going to trickle down. And ultimately, you know, th th it's 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 our lives at stake. We're not talking about, you know, a computer chip that goes in your car or, you know, this is this is life or death. 
um, and it's something we need to take really seriously. Yeah, uh, so, you, I mean, Jace Medical, you got the Jace case, which is a no-brainer. That's like antibiotics that you would need in case you get sick. But also, you guys have the, the, the longer-term service for medications you take every day. Both are really worth your while. Check out uh, jacemedical.com. Uh, they, they are a sponsor of this program. That's not why we have Sean on. Uh, we wanted to make sure we talked about this issue because it's getting more and more important. But uh, he's got some great answers for you there. Uh, doctor, we really appreciate you coming on and explaining all of this to us. Yeah, happy to. Anytime we can get the word out, it's something that we really are passionate about and, and, and hope people can, can learn more about and see why this is important. All right. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks, too. Okay. So here's what happened. We found Bigfoot. Okay. An elusive creature. There he is. Walking as I just squatted down. Now, no one thinks to zoom in on this at all yeah, for some reason, but it looks like he's walking around. Any squats coming up here? Fascinating footage. Um, now, <laughs> so stupid. This went like super viral, and then people pointed out hey, um, that's actually a place where they have Bigfoot experiences where. Again, what weirdos paying for this? I don't know. But you can have a Bigfoot experience where you walk around and Bigfoot kind of walks by. They pay people to dress up in Bigfoot costumes. So that's probably what you just saw. However, isn't that exactly what Bigfoot would want you to think? Right? Like if you're Bigfoot, this is the perfect place to hide. You go to the place where people are already dressing up as Bigfoot. And it's easily explained. So Bigfoot is real. That's all you need to know. <laughs> 